You're listening to Inside the Village, where all news is local and no topic is off limits. So help me, Bob, it's Bully in the Alley. Hey, Bully in the Alley. So help me, Bob. It's Inside the Village for Friday, October 13th, 2023, with Michael Friscalanti, Editor-in-Chief, here at Village Media. I'm Scott Sexsmith. Derek Turner, Executive Producer, is in the room. Uh, okay, boys, Friday the 13th. <laughs> Triskaidekaphobia, I believe, is what they call it. If you have a uh, fear of Friday the Thirteenth, I totally forgot it was Friday the Thirteenth until uh, you just said that. Really? Yeah, I had no idea. That's right. And, and it's like any fears? Any fears? Heights, a little bit. Heights, heights. Yeah. heights? Okay, but that's not a Friday the Thirteenth thing, right? It could be. You could fall on Friday the Thirteenth. You could. <laughs> so we know that Derek will not be being will not yeah. go into high places today. Yeah. It feels like Friday 13th. There's a lot of stuff crashing together all at the same time, and uh, let's just hope we all make it through. And is it – fair point. Is it twice a year that it happens, that there's a I'm Friday sure. the 13th? I'm not sure, to be honest. I'm, you, I'm not really into all that stuff. It doesn't really like, oh, my God. I'm boring you is really no, what no, you're no. saying. <laughs> what, else, what else is new? <laughs> no, it's, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't really do it for me. I mean, a lot of people are into that stuff, you know? Yeah. But I'm it, not. I just I, thought it was neat to mention. No, it is. It do you know where neat. it came from? Anybody? No, no. takers Is that neat too? Well, uh, I think so. It's not clear, according to this, it's not clear where the superstition originates. Mm-hmm. Some, however, believe it stems from the biblical Last Supper in which the unlucky 13th guest, Judas, betrayed Jesus. Really? So it has its roots with Jesus. That's what it says on the old internet. Crazy. Friday the 13th. Well, happy Friday the 13th. And to you, Derek, you as well. All right. Uh, Big show. We're a little late this week. Uh, Lots going on. Some exciting stuff. Uh, Big announcement coming out of editorial. We're not going to get into it. You'll read about it. Yes. Um, But it's big. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. More to come, as they say. You're going to hear it. See a special voice at Village Media pretty soon. Very exciting. All right. Let's get right to the uh, first word to Frisco. Uh, The uh, cold case... uh, story of Lucas Short Reed uh, back in the news, uh, thanks to wonderful reporter Keegan Kozalenka. Yeah, this is a, one of those stories that I can't stop reading about. It's with, uh, everything that comes out and everything Keegan's been writing about it for Guelph Today and Laura Fergus Today I've been reading. Um, this is a tragic story about a, a, a young guy, 18 years old, who's run over and killed 15 years ago on a rural road. Right. Nobody has any idea what happened. The OPP investigate for years. They, uh, they're looking at, it was a white neon car, car, I believe. And so they were looking for leads all around the neighborhood, trying to figure out what happened. They had very, over the years, there were various call outs for information. Then they got a tip last year to look into this couple. And, uh, turns out, as we now know, cause there was a sentencing hearing, the couple pleaded guilty. So all these details flooded out into court last week about what happened. And Keegan was there covering it. And, and I just, it was mind blowing. This couple had their 11 year old son in the car, ran this kid over. Well, he's 18. Yeah. And told their son that it was a deer, that they oh hit a deer. And, they and kept going. And kept going. Went home, went and bought an identical car of the one they had, put their plates on and everything else, and hid the car, I believe in a, in a trailer or something, behind oh. a false wall for years. And the craziest part was, and I don't, this is a terribly tragic story for the family. I, I mean, but what, what the craziest part for me was, years ago, the OPP actually approached them to ask to use their car in a video they were making to try to trigger clues, like a public, yeah, public uh, announcement. Yeah. And they said, sure, yeah, use our car. 
just a horrible story, right? And I just feel for the family, you know, hearts go to the, the, the family's been waiting for years for some answers. They told reporters, including Keegan, that they feel like they finally have some closure. They know what happened. Right. But how do you go on living your life after doing something like that and just moving along and you raise no your conscience. own kids? No conscience, right? And I guess there were wiretaps. They heard him talking to one of his kids on the phone about it. Just atrocious to me. Wow. I don't know. All right. Uh, to Sudbury we go in our publication, uh, Northern Ontario Business, and uh, Ian uh, Ross continuing to follow the story of the Ring of Fire. Yeah, the Ring of Fire, as we know, a lot of controversy has been controversies for years where they build roads and, and to extract the resources there. And Ian at Northern Ontario Business has been covering it in all kinds of different ways. We did a beautiful story about an Anishinaabe filmmaker who's working on a piece. Right. Uh, uh, it was released a, a movie, a film about um, – the Ring of Fire, and just speaking to all the different voices and just how complicated, how complex it is, and how there are no simple answers to it. And if, you, if, if you're interested in what's going on up there, it's definitely worth the read, uh, Northern Ontario Business. All right, let's uh, stay in Sudbury in a uh, story that uh, just broke earlier this week from reporter Jenny Lamutt. The uh, city council in Sudbury uh, has voted down uh, the construction of a uh, public washroom in the downtown area uh, for those who are homeless. Yeah, and it was a great piece of reporting because the the news out of the city council is that no, we're not going to build a public bathroom downtown. Too many problems that it could that it could cause. So Jenny went out and tried to find out how people use the bathroom when they're struggling. They're living rough on the streets, um, especially women who need some privacy. And it's uh, it's a heartbreaking story in so many ways. Like it's just something we don't think about, right? A lot of people can turn a blind eye and not, and not think about that situation. But you have this population of people in the downtown core in Sudbury who have nowhere to go to the bathroom or use the washroom. And uh, it's likely the same in, in all our communities. And so it's just a good, you know, we always talk about shining a spotlight on things. It's an important story, and I'm hoping that it gets some, triggers some more discussion in Sudbury and, and people kind of come up with some solution to this issue. All right, the first word to Frisco. Okay, today on Inside the Village, uh, Jordan Guildford is going to join us. Uh, Jordan's the uh, founder and CEO of Gems for Gems and, and more importantly, uh, Hope's Cradle, and it's just a wonderful program. Yeah, this is a program where mothers are allowed to, to it gives them a place to safely drop their baby if they have issues. We've seen tragic stories of babies being left behind in terrible places. And this initiative kind of grew out of that, a place to safely, no questions asked, drop your child. Um, there's a, They started in Alberta, I believe. We're going to talk to her about that. Um, but they have expanded to Ontario. I believe there's one in southern Ontario. And the city council in Sault Ste. Marie recently um, voted to look into the issue about potentially doing it here. So um, we're going to chat with her and find out how it all started and, and how it's going. All right. Jordan's in Calgary, and she joins us next when Inside the Village returns right after this. Reporters, editors, and journalists who go the extra mile to get the story and get it right. Go behind the scenes with those who cover the stories that matter most to you and your community. Look for it in the Village Features section of your favourite Village Media website across Ontario. Welcome back to Inside the Village. I'm Scott Sexsmith alongside Village Media's Editor-in-Chief, Michael Friscalanti. We're uh, joined on the uh, line right now by Jordan Guildford. Jordan is the founder and CEO of Gems for Gems and Hope's Cradle. Jordan, welcome to Inside the Village. It's great to have you join us today. Thank you for having me. Let's uh, talk about uh, Hope's Cradle. What prompted you to create it and how does it work? Sure. So Hope's Cradle was actually initiated back in 2019 and then of course the world stopped turning for a few years um but initially um our board chair who's a homicide detective uh came to me asking if there was anything that i thought gems for gems could do about um 
the tragedy that often was happening in Calgary where babies were found in ditches and dumpsters, alleys and other things like that. And of course, as a homicide detective, uh, when the babies were found, they were usually deceased, which meant they were his cases. So obviously very sad. Uh, so he came to me asking if I thought Gems could do anything about it. And I had actually independently been looking into uh, solutions like the baby boxes in the States and other alternatives in Germany as well because uh, of the cases that were growing in Calgary as well. So when he brought it up, I said, absolutely. And we put our heads together, pitched it to the board and they said, yes, absolutely. So we got to work. Initially, what we wanted to be able to do was bring uh, cradles to hospitals in Calgary. Uh, but of course, with it being 2020, probably the worst time in history to try to be working on something additional yeah. with the hospitals. So we worked at that for about two years. The hospitals kept saying, yes, this is a great idea. We love it. But not now, not now, not now. Then, of course, the babies continued to come in. And eventually I had enough of waiting and I started looking at alternative options. And as soon as I did that, I was connected with a, a wonderful man called Captain Eric Alexander out of the Strathmore fire station. And he had also been wanting to be able to do something like this. And we were kind of each other's missing pieces. So we, within five months of meeting each other, we had our first cradle across the line in the in the Strathmore Fire Station. That's amazing. Can you describe so, it for us? How, how does it work? Uh, so essentially, it is a, there's a door that's about two feet by three feet um, outside of the fire station. And it doesn't have to be in fire stations, but most of ours have been to date. Um, there's instructions on the door so that when typically it's the birth mother that will be utilizing the cradles. When the birth mother walks up to the door, she sees... Uh, the step-by-step -step so that there's no surprises. She opens the door, and when she opens the door, um, a silent alarm goes off and notifies the fire station dispatch or the third party or however it sets up, and it's sometimes different per location. Sometimes they use a third-party uh, alarm system. Other times they use uh, what's called a ProTalk, which is a local Calgary company that we work with for that. But a silent alarm goes off, uh, but it does start the clock ticking. So although it's not alarming the mother, it does mean that everyone that's necessary, that's needed to be able to come help the baby has been alerted and, and is on their way. So when she opens the door, she sees a bassinet and the baby is placed in the bassinet. There's a camera pointing at the bassinet, but there is no camera pointing in any direction that could identify the mother. And... Uh, there's an envelope in there that says birth mother on it in the envelope has resources for the birth mother's um, mental health and postnatal care uh, for resources around wherever the, the cradle is located. Um, our psychologist's information is there so that if she would like help um, being able to identify the areas that she needs help in. That's there for her as well, as well as a medical form for her to fill out information about the birth father her medical health, her medical history, any family uh, information that, that she would like to share. Um, and then there's also a, a guided letter that she can send in her final words uh, to her baby. And so the envelope is addressed to the location of the cradle and um, the postage has already been paid on it as well. So um, the birth mother doesn't have to worry about that either. So uh, after about two minutes, there's a, a secondary alarm, and this one is audible. 
Uh, and that's just to let her know that someone is very close to coming. We're trying to make this as um, compassionate for both sides of the equation as we possibly can. So we don't want the birth mother saying goodbye and having a firefighter open the other side of the cradle um, during that type of time. So she's given that secondary alarm. She closes the door. The door locks and cannot be reopened. And then within a minute or two, someone will be there. That's amazing. It is. How often is this happening, Jordan? Well, uh, for legal reasons, I can't tell you how often our cradles have been used simply because we don't have enough. Right now, if I was to say who or that, that yes. one was utilized, it would be kind of counterproductive as far as keeping the anonymity there. Mm-hmm. But we are very happy with, <clears throat> with the uh, progress uh, that we're seeing as far as the impact in the communities with our cradles. And um, it's easier to, to kind of talk numbers with regards to the states, for instance. Since 1999, I believe, almost 5,000 babies have been saved via uh, cradles like this. So it's really our organization's goal to be able to have hope cradles everywhere um, so that it's a resource for everyone. But it's safe to say babies have, mothers have used this service. Is that, am I, am I allowed to ask nope. that? Yeah. Thousands of, of, of Sorry, in, uh, in, in Canada, I mean, in Alberta. And, yes. Uh, yeah, okay. yes. Not thousands though. No. Uh, so Jordan, you, uh, you obviously started in Calgary. Now you've expanded to Ontario. Where do you have them uh, here? So in Ontario, we're working with Clarington. We've already built one in Clarington, which is very exciting. And we're looking for a launch, hopefully, um, in November. Um, Sault Ste. Marie is speaking with us, and Pickering has also committed as well. Uh, We're having some other discussions with other areas as well. Niagara is one of them. Um, And up north in a few different communities up there, too, are talking with us. But um, those are the ones that are confirmed. How's the reaction been from the public? Do some people say, well, I don't understand why we need this? Or uh, what, what, do people, what do people who aren't as well aware of this issue as you are, what do they say to you? Um, there's a variety of responses, as I'm sure you can imagine. Um, about 99.9% of them are really positive. Um, of the negative ones, the main negative one is uh, that they wish this wasn't a, a necessity, which so do we. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when you get kind of further into it, the the more negative ones, uh, one is uh, that it's violating the child's right to know their parents. And uh, we don't argue with the child's right to know her parents, but the bottom line is that we're fighting for the child's right for their heart to keep beating. Mm-hmm. So if the heart is not continuing to beat, all other rights are kind of secondary. And these are, you know, the interesting thing here is that these are all what I call viable babies. So they're full-term babies that were delivered and are able to survive with care. So for me, that's where that's where we start. And that's really what we're focused on, being able to protect that. Jordan, I know you can't get into uh, specifics because of uh, the legal reasons that you alluded to, but can you kind of give us some broad success stories and speak to that? Um, yeah, you know what I can speak to is uh, kind of w- the, the type of women that uh, are looking for this and why it's important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we're seeing is a lot of trafficked women and uh, women in abusive situations. And uh, the important thing here is that sometimes the anonymity can polarize um, the public uh, where some people feel that when there's anonymity, they're not taking responsibility, they're getting away scot-free. That's another one that keeps coming up. But what we need to understand is that um, we don't understand. 
And some of the stories that we're hearing are things like the babies being utilized to make the girls, the trafficked girls, do things. Um, sometimes the babies themselves are being sexually exploited. And especially for, for young girls or for anyone in that type of situation, I can't imagine um, seeing this little baby that you just brought into the world being utilized like that. And some of the women genuinely believe the baby's better off dead than going through that. And I think it's really easy to villainize the mothers. But I think, again, we need to be grounded in the fact that we cannot understand what they're going through. And we just need to meet them where they're at and provide this anonymous option because all other anonymous options are unsafe. Yeah, and really, I I don't grasp that why people would think that. I mean, it, it, to me, as your your goal is is to is one hundred percent to save the child, right? If you can figure out yes. a way that this baby's going to live and thrive and and have a, a better life than they might have had otherwise, I don't understand why people would disagree with that. But I guess people are funny. Where the where the polarizing comes is where the the sense of justice comes in, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and I I just think we need to be above that. Uh, and really focus on the baby. If I'm reading the story, you mentioned Sue, uh, uh, Sue St. Marie is looking at uh, at this possibility. We run Sue Today, mm-hmm. which is one of the local sites we have, and they've written about it. Um, and one of the things that interests me is that uh, a mother can come back within 30 days and say, I made a mistake. And, and how would they how would they do that? They, that information is in the envelope you leave with them? Yes, there is information in the envelope, but this is something that I really love about that. And it's kind of um, moving along the lines of uh, what happens with adoption. Mm-hmm. So within, with adoption, there's 30 days to be able to change their mind. And it changes per province. But we are we are moving forward with that 30-day policy. And the concept with this, again, if we go back to women surviving or existing in abuse, they have that time, that grace period, if the baby is in imminent danger to be able to place their baby here anonymously, find safety, make a situation that the baby can exist in and then come back for their baby as well. And to date, we haven't had anyone use the cradles for that, but I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that someday it does get used for that because you hear too many times that a baby, a mother knew her baby was in danger and then the baby ends up passing away because of some horrific thing happening to it. And, Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that their cradles get utilized for this as well. Jordan, how gratifying is this for you? I mean, like you said, you worked a long time trying to make this happen, and now you're seeing it expand, actually. It's growing into other cities. How, how gratifying is that for you? Uh, it's wonderful, but, you know, it's it's one step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And I am, I'm excited about that step, but I'm aware of how much larger it must be in order to, for us to be able to start getting the numbers, like what we're seeing in Germany and, and in the States. And... To me, it's, it's, it is a, a when, not an if, the next baby is found in anyone's area. And the thing is, is that a lot of rural locations, for instance, feel that they don't need this type of service there. But the thing is, is that most of the babies that are found in cities are found via homeless people looking for food. And if you have rural areas, there's just not the same amount of dumpsters, the same amount of uh, people going dumpster diving, and uh, the babies just aren't found. It's not that it's not happening, they're just not being found. So I think I think we really need to have a, a clear concept of the magnitude of this and keep focused on where we need to go. Uh, Jordan, before we let you go, is there anything uh, else about Hope's Cradle or, or Gems for Gems that you'd like to mention that, uh, that we didn't touch on? Well, I'd just really love to be able to leave you with uh, that parting message of it is a when, not an if. And I would like people to understand that for their communities and understand that bringing a Hope's Cradle is not difficult. And uh, and now that we know better, I think we need to understand we must do better. 
Well, you're doing amazing work uh, in Calgary and and now transitioning uh, to our province. We're happy to have you here and certainly uh, hopeful that you can expand uh, everywhere there is a need. Uh, Jordan, thanks for doing this today. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. For the latest in in-depth features and enterprise journalism from your local writers at Village Media, be sure to check out The Big Read. The Big Read, it's the full story behind the headlines. Look for The Big Read on your favourite Village Media website across Ontario. Back to wrap on uh, Inside the Village for this uh, Friday, October the 13th, 2023. Uh, with Frisco, Derek, and yours truly, Scott Sexton. With Jordan Guildford, uh, founder, CEO, Gems for Gems and Hope's Cradle. Wow, that is uh, powerful stuff. Yes, yeah, so I was just saying to you guys, the thing about it is I had no idea that even existed. I mean, no. Obviously, we don't live in Alberta, so we don't often hear stuff going on. But when I read uh, David Helwig's article on Sue Today that evening, I was like, what? Like yeah. I thought, are we going to break ground? Are we going to be the first city that does this? And sure enough, no, it's already in some somewhere else in Ontario. It's been in Alberta for a few years. And um, just hearing her talk about how, hearing Jordan talk about how there were cases of babies being left behind yeah. know, in terrible ways and terrible places and that there is a need for this. And like she said, she can't get into numbers for privacy of reasons. Course, yeah. But the fact that this is happening in our country, I think a lot of people just have no idea. And, I didn't. No, we, we talked during the break that it, it, it's like Hollywood coming to life, right? How many television shows and movies have we watched where there's scenes where babies are left in bassinets yeah. on the steps of the local fire hall? Yeah. Um, and it's really happening. And typical movie style, they always, you know, look, look great. Of course. The kids look good. But this is like, yeah. this is the harsh reality, right? Yeah. And uh, you know what? Uh, we need less judgment in this world, right? So here's yeah, an opportunity right where you can have a, a someone protect the child who's so innocent and has no, you know, no hope on their own and being able to have a place to, to, to drop them. Um, to me, it makes, to, it makes total sense. Sure. We wouldn't want to, that we're sad that, that we need that in this world, in this country, but man, it's all about the kids, the protection of the kid. Yeah, a- absolutely. And, and I'm just, I just want to have a quick peek here because I know that they have a website and uh, yeah, gemsforgems.com. Uh, have a look if, if there's a, a donate button, I mean, you know, do it. They're just doing some wonderful work and, and great to have them here in the province of Ontario. And who knows, maybe, uh, in Sault Ste. Marie in the very near future. Yeah. If you Google Sue today and Hope's Cradle, you can read our coverage of, uh, of how it's going to work. And, yeah. uh, our, I believe the Sioux city council voted unanimously to look into the issue. So for me, it makes total sense. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. That's a wrap, uh, for today, uh, inside the village. Uh, .ca if you want to find back episodes uh, across the Village Media Network and uh, reach out to us. Uh, happy to hear from you. ITV at villagemedia.ca. It's open 24 uh, hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, we'd love to hear from the audience. And certainly this is an important topic. Uh, so we'd love to get your uh, feedback uh, on that and uh, and other things. Have a great weekend. Uh, we're back next week. Derek, thank you. Thank you, Frisco. And uh, we'll see you uh, next week. Thanks for watching Inside the Village. You've been listening to Inside the Village. Frisco and Scott's wardrobe, provided in part by Moore's Sault Ste. Marie.